Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans. Boy, do I have a treat for you today. Kristen Donnelly and I have spoken in the past because I did a podcast YouTube video with her thinking a year ago, a little over a year ago, yeah, two, I think it's two been years been ago. Long. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while and I have been watching her run across TEDx stages ever since <laughs> and clapping her on. And now today we're going to spend an entire hour talking to you about empathy. And we did self-compassion a few weeks ago with Dr. Kristen Neff. So we're kind of on this pathway right now of giving you other words and topics to focus on that are not just the word burnout. So today we get to talk to Kristen Donnelly, who is a master of social work a Master of Divinity, and a PhD. She's a four-time TEDx speaker. She's internet. She's an international empathy educator and researcher with two decades of experience in helping people understand the beauty in difference and the power in inclusivity. She's one of the good doctors. Those are all capital words, the good doctors of Abbey Research, COO of their parent company, and an unapologetic nerd for stories of change. I mean, metamorphosis makes me cry every time. Kristen lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband, where they are surrounded by piles of books and several video game consoles. Kristen, I said this before we got on, but I'm going to say it again in front of everybody because not everybody knows um, how much I follow you and how much I pay attention to the work that you're doing. But that first TEDx that you put out, I literally sat here and was like, Ugh, like it hit me right in the gut. I've just been so impressed with what you're doing and I'm so proud to have you here. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And I said it before and I'll say it again. This is a mutual admiration society because <laughs> I am also very grateful uh, that we've met and that I consider us colleagues in this work of helping everyone be a better human. Because as I frequently say, none of us are taught how to do this. We're all fumbling along and figuring it out how to do it. And the best way to be human is to do it together because there's no manual. And so being able to work alongside folks like yourself who are so knowledgeable and passionate and excellent communicators and compassionate communicators about how do we all up-level our humanity is, is such an honor. So thanks for having me here. We do start every Friday episode with a story, a story that comes from you Maybe it's about burnout. Maybe it's about just a moment where you knew that some shit had to change. So I am going to sort of exit stage left for a minute, give you the floor and let you tell that portion of the story before we jump into the remainder on empathy and everything we've got coming. If I'm honest, 
I've probably hit some level of burnout 10 to 12 times in my life (laughs) because my pattern is to do something with my whole self. I joke frequently. I've had a bunch of jobs that I run wholeheartedly until I hit the brick wall, fall down, then pick up and pick another job and run wholeheartedly (laughs) until I hit the brick wall, fall down. So I've been a youth worker. I've been a college professor. I've been a sex ed teacher. um, I've been a music festival director. I've done a lot of things. And all of them have left me at some point I exited them. I shouldn't say all of them, the two major ones, youth work and college professor, which were the ones that I thought were my calling. I exited both of them out of trauma. They were not my choice. Exiting both of them um, was someone else's decision. Mm. And for me, a big part of that recovery then became trying desperately to discover who I was in a non-healthy format. And the way that I mean that is that instead of, I I tied my, a lot of my identity in those things. In fact, one of my TEDx's is about losing my identity as a youth worker and why that was traumatic and why I need everyone to stop comparing trauma because it's not actually helpful. And, but instead of sitting there and really thinking and taking my time and saying like, okay, so I don't have this identity anymore. Who do I want to be? I just started filling my life with other activities where I just kept hoping like, okay, if I try a bunch of this stuff, something will feel right instead of doing the work ahead of time. Now I was in my teens and twenties. We're all like, I wasn't, we're not fully cooked until we're what 25 to 30. That's what they're telling us now. So I wasn't fully cooked when any of these, when, when that happened, the college professor thing, I was, I was in my early thirties and in the middle of that, so I, I I lost, I kind of lost that dream for a whole host of reasons. My husband and I ended up emigrating back to America. We met in Northern Ireland. My PhD is from Queens University, Belfast in Northern Ireland. He is Northern Irish. I did not move there for him. I met him online three weeks after I moved because um, I was already tired of talking to students. So I got a couple bottles of wine and some friends and we set up an online dating profile. So he was <laughs> supposed to be a fling and he is the fling that never flung. And we have now been married for almost 10 years. But we emigrated from Northern Ireland to Philadelphia, from Belfast to Philadelphia, and I took a position in my family company. And I had an idea of what it was kind of going to look like, but I didn't let let myself grieve the loss of that dream. Mm -hmm. I didn't let myself grieve the loss of the life we had there, which was Mm -hmm. a dream. Mm -hmm. I found who I was there in a beautiful way. We had this incredible friend circle we had done, and it was, everything was great. And instead of taking the time to really unpack that grieving process, I just said, okay, well, let me find other projects to make me busy. So I started a book (laughs) review blog and I started uh, reviewing romance novels for Harlequin and, and uh, I mean, Harlequin novels for a a site called Romance and Smut. Cause I was just like, (laughs) oh, I have to fill my time. I have to fill my time. That's what will give me purpose is if I fill my time. So in the middle of all of that, We have some family stuff that means I have to take a bigger role in the company, a company that I don't really feel comfortable or know a lot about. We took fake it till you make it to a really damaging degree. Um, And I ended up, you know, doing a lot of things that the family needed me to do. And looking back, there was no one else to do it. So there was no, there wasn't an option. Like I went to a therapist at one point who said, well, you should just obviously quit your job. And I was like, and leave my family. Like that's, do you not understand family business? You said on your website, you did. Why am I here if we're having this conversation? Um, And so I realized that I was the common, I was the only controllable entity. 
Hmm. in this. I liked the change just now from common denominator to the only controllable entity because it's not always about you, but it is about what you can influence. Yes. So um, that is the biggest lesson I learned in terms of when we talk about how I moved from burnout to energized in a certain way yeah. is, and it happened as I'm sure so many of your listeners did for me, it happened when I was forced to be locked down. Mm-hmm. And when, so the parent company of our, just very briefly, my brother and I co-own a network of companies, the flagship of which is a manufacturing company that is an that is essential. We manufacture dyes and colorants largely for the pharmaceutical industry. We, for instance, are the only global manufacturer of one of the stains that diagnoses cancer. So whereas like, so, and as, as part of that, I have this empathy education and I'll draw those connections in a few minutes, but it makes total sense. I promise. But I'm sitting here looking at all of the lockdowns in Philadelphia. And I know that there's absolutely no way in hell we're going to close. And everybody else in my life, everyone online, everybody, my business partner works from home. My husband starts working from home. And all of a sudden my Facebook feed is filled with how bored they are. And I snapped Mm. and I just at one point put this long Facebook post out that is very mature and measured. And I'm still proud of it, of when you are doing that, think about all the people for whom board is the ultimate luxury right now. I cannot imagine a post COVID life in which I am bored. So let me tell you what my brain has been filled with. I have been trying to figure out how to keep everybody safe. I have been trying to figure out how to do these things. The only good part of my life right now is there is no more traffic on my commute. Everything else is stressful and overwhelming. Yeah. And what I realized is what needed to happen was I needed to be understood. And I just needed someone in a converse, a networking. I I stopped going to all Zoom stuff. I stopped going to all networking events because if I heard one more, especially women's networking events, if I heard one more woman talk about how the worst part of her life was figuring out how to school her kids, I, I was going to lose it because the while that was terrible and I can't imagine it, I don't have children. I didn't, I was tired of being asked to compare that to keeping 25 people that I'm directly responsible for alive. And I, we were playing this game of whose life is the most stressful, right? And I couldn't do it. So I tapped out of everything and I realized truly, and, and Aaron, my business partner and best friend, and I were talking, we realized truly what we wanted to do was be understood. So how deep is that true human need? All of us want to be heard and understood. So how, how can I heal from this crate, from this exhaustion of not being understood? I can seek to understand others. Okay. So, okay. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to say that again. (laughs) We're going to stop right there and we're going to say it again, because you, you've said so many things that I would like to emphasize, but we're going to stop and say that again, because one of the things that I say now in the beginning of episodes is that my desire is to have each and every episode create a moment of healing for each and every listener, a moment, a second, anything, because they feel seen, heard, validated, less alone, right? This is being understood. This is why the Facebook group is popping. 
This is why we got to, you know, we get to a thousand members in no time because people want to be in a group where they feel seen, heard, validated, understood. So we're going to, can, can we say that again? How do you go about it? Yeah. So for me, the best way to feel heard and understood was to seek to hear and understand others. Because one of the, and I don't know burnout as well as you do for sure, but I do know sociology. That's my PhD. And I know community. That's what I studied. I wrote about a theory called communities of practice, which is my, one of my favorite theories. And I wish I had more opportunity to like really nerd out over it. <laughs> Cause it's like one of those, like everything gets explained this way, guys. Anyway, but that's it's how I feel about Chinese medicine. Theory. Uh, yeah. It's just, and, and I love it. But anyway. What I know deeply is that if we decenter ourselves from our life experience, perspective becomes easier to obtain. And not only does perspective become easier to obtain, but with perspective comes a lot less of the things that a lot of us are feeling right now, which is like overwhelm or loneliness or anything else. And when I say perspective, I don't mean in the typical way that folks are like, oh, you're not doing that bad. That's not what I'm talking about. It is the seated reality of, for instance, my life is very complicated. I, I have, I love, I love my life. I love my job, but there are things in it that are very stressful. And that if I could if I had that genie in a bottle, man, I know exactly what I'd change. But also a truth at the same time is that in the last month, I did not flee from my home and have to give birth in a subway station. So humanity is hard no matter where you are. But I can handle some stuff because I'm not giving birth in a subway station. And it's not a comparison. It's simply a breath of a perspective. Like, okay, what can I control? What can I handle? Because there's people on this planet right now who can control almost nothing in their lives. So in honoring them right now, I have control and power. How can I leverage my control and power over my own life in respect to the fact that they have none? So it's it, part of decentering yourself is understanding your place in global humanity, which I think then lets you really understand that on most days you're doing okay. And you can find the thing on most days that you can control and that you're doing okay. And everything's, you can breathe a little bit easier when you sit there and say, okay, I'm a human person doing my best. Things are shitty, yeah, but here's what I can control. And that is a big part of empathy for us is, is that key of understanding and understanding to be understood. And that cycle that you go in, I also completely reject the idea that growth is linear change yeah. is linear. So I should say that now, cause I'm going to talk about cycles a lot. Nothing is linear. Time isn't even linear. So, you know, we all have to, we all move in cycles of healing and acknowledgement and regression and pain and healing and acknowledgement and regression and pain. So, and so I have this, like my, my gut is twisting a little bit because I have a I know so many people in the burnt out community who part of their burnout is feeling guilty that they have it better than other people. And you're saying this isn't a comparison. I heard you say that. And yet still it's a little bit of a comparison. 
Well, let's pause. Yeah. I don't think it actually is. I okay. think it's an honest because part of you use the word guilt. So let's unpack that. For yeah. A guilt is an unproductive emotion. Always an unproductive emotion. You can maybe regret something and change it, but guilt is something we often wallow in and wallowing is always unproductive. So uh, there, by saying that comparison, it, it, you know, I have it better than some other people and worse than some other people. What that does is set up like this weird global value system where like, here's where I've made it and here's where I haven't made it and kind of everything else. Instead, I would invite everyone to acknowledge your circumstances. Just acknowledge them. So let's talk about race for a minute, because another big piece of this was that my kind of burnout came in 2020, my moment. And one of the, the spaces I realized that I could speak into was white people not knowing what to do with their whiteness. And a lot of really well-intentioned, lovely folks who could not understand Black Lives Matter. And I saw the demonization online of those people. And I was like, well, that's also unproductive and dumb. And so that's one of the reasons we, as Abby Research, as the good doctors, have stepped into this space. Like, hey, let's just have some really pragmatic base level conversations. Whiteness is power. Mm -hmm. However you feel about that is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It is. So if you were born with this power, what are you going to do with it? Don't be guilty over having it. You can't do a damn thing about it. Having it. You can choose what you do with it. So the only comparison truly is your past self and your present self. And there shouldn't be guilt with that. Your past self was doing the best you could. Honestly, great job. Did you get out of bed five days out of 10? Love it. Did you remember to eat protein and occasionally drink water? I think you did a great job. If you are keeping other human or animals or plants alive, gold star, guys. Again, I go back to being a human is really hard and no one teaches us how to do it. So now you've learned something new. Now you can be potentially held accountable to that new knowledge. You cannot be guilty that you didn't know it. So free yourself as best you can. And like, I'm, I only play a therapist on TV, you know, so I'm not really <laughs> equipped super to walk you through these things. But what I can tell you is that the more you can do the mindset disciplinary practice of truly understanding your place in the universe, your connection points and your power, the less comparison becomes a dangerous thing and instead just becomes a, we are all different people. And where can, where can love, growth, joy, and power come from those differences rather than a comparison? But it's hard ass work. And I do it free. I mean, comparison is the thief of joy. Social media is a is entirely a business built on comparison. Life is built on comparison. I completely get that. Yeah. And so I'm not saying this is going to be easy. And I'm not saying that it is simple or straightforward, but I am saying I deeply believe, and I've seen the evidence of this in other people's lives. And when I read brain research, this makes sense to me in social research, that if you can choose to see comparison as a fact rather than an emotion, things get a little bit easier to navigate. Well, I think, and and so the facts that I see that people come up with, I think sometimes are problematic. Yep. And, and this is this is where, again, like my stomach is like a little like, uh, because I had um, a friend recently say that they were visiting South Africa. And so they took their 
daughter who grows, who lives in very affluent circumstances to a very poor neighborhood to prove to her how lucky she was. And I told them that I thought what they did was bullshit. Okay. Because there's no rule that says that people that are living in different circumstances than you are less happy necessarily. Correct. Right. So I, I, I guess it depends on like, so you're saying you're lucky financially. Okay, fine. But I, I don't like the idea of choosing a group or a people's or a, to say, well, I know my place in the world because it's different than that. Because automatically in order for you to realize that place, there, there is going to be some sort of like, I'm in a better place than that. I'm in a worse place than that. So, you know what I mean? Are, so, yeah, I totally get it. So, ironically, you bring this up. That's something that my parents did when I was growing up is yeah. we went to different neighborhoods, but it, we didn't talk about luck ever. We talked about gratefulness and we talked about what we we're going to do with our with our privilege. And I think that is important. I do. Because part of the reason that you're feeling so uncomfortable, and I totally understand why you are, is that we've attached moral judgments. To right. These right. So let's strip that back. There are realities of resource allocation on this planet. Yes. Done. Yes. So all I would like people to realize is your accessibility of resource allocation. And what are you going to do with that resource allocation? It is not that I am, I am, I hate the word luck. I hate it. And not just because I have like Irish American St. Patrick's Day (laughs) bullshit hangover. But like, I do think it is very important to understand without moral judgments that you do have a place in the planet. And they're like, it's postcode privilege. I was born outside. I was born in America. Yeah. If you make more than $10,000 a year, US dollars, you're in the global middle class. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah. So then outside of, so you, when we were growing up, you and I are approximately the same age. Yeah. When we were growing up, we were taught that anyone below that is a bad person who is lazy and, yes. who, and who is, and who er, has deserved there, that. And stuck there because of ignorance, lack of knowledge and whatever else, which is total bullshit. Total bullshit. So, but it's still, we make, you make more than $10,000 a year. You're in the global middle class. I was born into a neighborhood where the average income is six figures. Right. That's where I was born. So there's a couple ways I can go with that. One, I can buy into the bullshit that you just said that I was raised. I'm hashtag blessed. And I'm, and as long as I write a check every couple months, I've absolved myself. Mm. That's a choice I can make. It's a choice that many people I love make. It is a choice that I have made in past iterations of my life. Or I can sit up and go, okay, I've got six figures. That means I have access to different resources than a lot of other people do. How can I leverage my resources and my privilege for the power of other people? How can I unlearn the moral judgments I have been raised to learn? How can I catch myself when I am realizing, because you know where the bad and good thing comes from in terms of hard work is the Puritans from like the 1600s. So like we've come by it honestly, Kate, like it's not, we're not, we are not bad people for thinking that we are products of our culture. Yeah, the thing that squeezes me the most is that is the is the moral judgment of the fact. That's the thing that bothers me the most because Completely, and it should. So like, let's strip the moral judgment because we yeah. can't strip the reality. Right. 
that there is inequity and there's different resource allocation and all of that. But what we can strip is the moral judgments. And like one of the ways that we have to do it, especially a lot right now is moral judgments around food. There is no Mm -hmm. good food and bad food. There is food. Yeah. And food is also meant to do more than fuel your body. So like we have to break some things like this because we've been programmed that we're only good people if we work really hard. Yeah. That rest is for after we're dead and that we need to do this all by ourselves. Literally the 16th, America was built on those foundations. And if you're blessed and lucky, you're not allowed to have any problems. So the the majority of the people that I, I mean, of course, I don't, I work with people who are financially privileged because otherwise they can't afford my services. Right? Exactly. I mean, and we do as well. I mean, it's right. one of the reasons that we try to equitize it. And I'm sure you do too, through a podcast and yeah, through YouTube exactly. and we try our best, but yeah, to hire us, you've got to have some capital, right? You have to have some capital. And so one, you know, so I have a low cost book. I have a low cost mini course. I have the podcast that I do for free. Yep in order to have resources available to people. And I do that very intentionally. And this, like, the the thing that I just see so frequently in people is like, how can I be so quote unquote lucky and feel so shitty? And they don't allow themselves the grace of the facts. And yes, absolutely. And this is why I always, this is where we go back to, you've got to stop comparing. Yeah. But it's also, but I think the, the, this is one of those, it's just really fucking messy and you're going to be good at it some days and you're going to be shit at it other days. Like that's just how this works. So it is important for me to understand that I do not have it as bad as other people in some ways. I also have to understand that does not invalidate what I am going through. Multiple things can be true at once. Yeah. So like, for example, my business partner is the primary carer for her mother. Mm. Aaron's mother is getting older, has a lot of health problems. Um, She shares this frequently, like openly, I'm not, I'm not spilling secrets. Um, And so the alchemy in Aaron's head at all times is how long can I leave my mother for who, if we're traveling for business, who can come over and make sure that my mother's okay. She can take care of herself, but she can't like lift things, you know, some stuff like that. And they have a cat. And karma is annoying sometimes. So like they've got (laughs) all this alchemy. So I look at that and I say, oh my God, that's so much on your plate, Erin. Like, how can I take more things off? And she like stares at me and she's like, how can I take more things off your plate? It's just my life. Here's all the other things that like, this is just what I do. And do I have different, she's like, are there days that I feel really sorry for myself? For sure. But most days I do the mindset work of, I am grateful I get to take care of my mother. And she gets to be with somebody and we are not at a place yet where there needs to be professional care. And so I get to have this relationship with my mother and my junk. Like I have been a cross-cultural marriage. There are seasons where that's really simple and beautiful and fun. And there are seasons where that's really hard. Oh girl, I know. Yeah. And so (laughs) if I say it's all sunshine and roses or it's all work, both of those are lies. Yeah. There are sometimes my relationship is pure joy and being with John isn't work at all. Yeah. And there's other seasons where I, every single breath is a choice to not walk away because that's relationships with humans. I've had the same seasons with Aaron, you know, like that's relationships with humans. So I think if I could give one gift, if I could wave my magic wand and give one gift to all of your listeners, it is to understand that many things can be true at once. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about this in the, in the Facebook group quite a bit. 
Amazing. I'm so glad because it's so true. It's important. You can have the worst season of your life possible and still be able to pay your mortgage. Yeah. And being able to pay your mortgage is not more important than having the worst season. But then in terms of global resources, you're on the upper end of that. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to be taken care of and that you are not okay. Right. Right. This is this came up a lot uh, recently because we were in Florida when um, the war started and my husband is Polish and we have plenty of family very close to the border. We own a home close to the border. So these were things that we had to think about. Are we going to pull my in-laws from the country? And then we got a phone call saying, can you help? We have some people that are crossing the border. Can you find them a place to stay? So we were in Florida on vacation, on the beach, enjoying it. And at the same time, dealing with that, dealing with that and, and making phone calls and talking to people about if they can find a space for these people that are going to cross the border within the next 12 hours. And so, and and, you're not a terrible person for doing it from the beach on vacation. You're a human person who was doing what you needed to take care of yourself and taking care of yourself. And that moment meant also taking care of others. So this is that like lack of guilt space where we have to just put it up there. This is true. And this is true too. And your body, your brain is going to fight against that yeah. because your brain wants things very simple. Yeah. And the last develop, I'm sure you've talked about this on other podcasts and I'm sure you've talked about this. So I'll reiterate it again, that the last developmental stage is the ability to hold many things true at once. Mm. And we don't hit that until 2530. Yeah. We don't hit abstract thought until 2530. And so a lot of our burnout history comes from times and comes from years and years of not being able to grasp abstract thought. And so we're just in these patterns that keep repeating that once we are able to say, you know what? No, fuck it. I can hold two things at once. Yeah. No, it is true. We yeah. are so patterned to not do it because we weren't able to. It's like the brain's biggest screw you, I guess, in a way yeah. that it takes us so long to get there. Yeah. To me, this is like the, like, I, I'm so grateful for my Chinese medicine background when it comes to that, because everything in Chinese medicine comes from the Tai Chi symbol from the yin yang symbol, which yeah. is always everything has a seed of the other and it's always what the, the tai chi symbol was never meant to be seen on in a 2d scenario it's a 3d object that's so constantly turning and twirling this becomes that that becomes this this is within that that is within this this is always all true so this uh, once i started chinese medical school i was a you know scientist before that i was in on a pre-med program on a, as a biology major before I went into Chinese medicine. So I went from this world where the safety is in the fact that we have the answers, which of course we know is not true because they're changing things that we know about, (laughs) about how the body works every single day. But when you're in that mode, what you're taught is these are the rules. This is how you follow them. There's black and there's white, there's right. And there's wrong. And this is how it is. And then all of a sudden you, I went to Chinese medical school and they were like, it's gray. <laughs> Everything is gray. gray. Yeah, I, there's a, that's, we joke that's one of our our business our business uh, mo- uh, mottos is there's more than fifty shades of gray. Um, and if we could make that pun with every audience, we definitely would. So I love that. So yeah. as we move forward through this part, and I'm glad we sort of 
worked through that because I was having this like sort of visceral reaction to what you were saying. And I, and I know that there are people that are burnt out that are listening that are saying like, Oh, but how do I, how do I, how do I? So I hope that that helped people unwind that the same way it helped me unwind it because I, I could just feel my stomach and I'm going, Oh, but, but, you know, so I'm glad we did that. But the thing that you talk about with such depth and in a way that I think is really important is empathy. And this is a conversation we have on the podcast and in the group a lot, because I believe that a lot of people who say they are very empathetic, I'm using air quotes, everybody, you can't see me, but I'm using them, are really people that are having trauma responses. Yes. Uh, And I'm reading some, I'm reading quite a lot of emerging research, like none of it's published. It's all like people doing the research and, and being, and saying, I think, that HSP, highly sensitive people and self-identified empaths are um, in in a perpetual trauma response. Mm -hmm. I am not comfortable saying that is true across the board. Right. But what I am comfortable saying is that I think calling people who are able to feel energies in rooms, calling them empaths is a disservice to them and to us. Mm, Break that down. I don't doubt that there are people who can feel things about other people. However, the definition of empathy has very little to do with feelings. Empathy is a broader thing than feelings. If you look and this, this journey for us started with just like an itch of like, it's gotta be more because as a social worker, I have been taught that the most damaging phrase you can say to someone is I know how you feel. Mm. And yet in the last, 15 years since I became a qualified social worker, I notice over and over and over again in like grief podcasts and tell where we teach people to say that. And I'm like, guys, no one has any idea how the other person feels because I don't know how I feel most days. So <laughs> could we like, could we pause and really dissect that phrase? And in a real way, like this is what I do all the time is like, I take things that we all say all the time. And then I say, wait, wait, let's trace the logical train of that and say, do we really want to say it? So the story that Aaron and I tell all the time is that um, we both lost our grandmothers within about six months of each other, Mm. our paternal grandmothers. And if anybody on the planet that we know each other better than I know my husband some days, if we could not look at the other girl and say, I know how you feel, how can anyone else? Like she, we had radically different relationships with our grandmothers. She was essentially estranged from hers and mine was active in my daily life. Um, hers was a, you know, kind of gentle death of old age. Mine died from a horrible dementia related accident. There's a lot of, she doesn't know how I feel. She has no idea. I don't know how she feels. And especially, and she said, cause she didn't know how she felt. So we started with the belief that that's the most damaging phrase. And we've got to stop saying it, especially in the COVID times. Mm. Cause we were doing a lot of this work in the middle of lockdown number two. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there and we're like, okay, well, if that isn't true, then what is empathy? So we did a very, I'm kidding you not, simple Google search and pulled up every dictionary we could in all of the languages that we speak and traced all of the definitions. And what we learned is that only about 30% of them contain the word feelings Mm. and 100% of them contain the word understand. Oof. And we said, okay, so what is empathy? It's understanding. And as we 
traced as we kind of chased that with each other and traced it back and started reading more research on on empathy. What we got to the point was every time somebody said it was something about feelings, we're like, okay, well then that's just a piece of it. It's allowed to be a piece of it, but what is the umbrella? What is everything? And we realize that no one else is having this conversation. So we just keep having it with ourselves and then increasingly with lovely, incredible people like you. But what we have come to define empathy as is intentional understanding Hmm. of yourself and others. Intentional understanding. It's making less assumptions and asking more questions. It's scratching at things that itch instead of ignoring them. And saying, this doesn't sit right with me. I wonder why. It is powered by curiosity. It is girded by the compassion of understanding that humans, that it it being a human is hard. And it's saying things like having an empathetic worldview is saying things like, I'm sorry you're in pain. Or tell me what's happening instead of what's wrong with you. Or I'd love to know more about your childhood rather than where did you come from? It's powered by that curiosity. And the biggest example that we can kind of give in this is that it becomes this muscle reflex that when you're confronted with difference, your first que- your first response is questions rather than judgment. Mm. I wonder why, I wonder if, I, I have, I, I have questions, you know, we jokingly quote Hamilton all the time where it's like, I have questions and a couple of suggestions. Um, <laughs> but I will say this was my way out of my burnout, my way out of my burnout, the last season of it, which I do hope is the last because of these other things I've built into my life has been no longer knee jerk judgments or knee jerk anger but centering the humanity of the other person, even on Twitter and asking even just questions of myself, like, man, I wonder how their day's going. I wonder what else is happening here. Cause I don't know how many times any of you have been in a conversation and so you're getting in a fight with someone and you're like, Oh, this isn't about me at all. I just happen to be the person in proximity to their anger. Yeah. And we do that so much more than we realize. So every time I hit something in somebody else that I'm like, oh, I do that too. I've got to work on it in myself. As I work on it in myself, I, I learn other things about other people. And it becomes this beautiful yin yang cycle of constantly deepening and richening humanity. Because again, it's hard. Yeah. People don't say that enough. There isn't a five-step simple solution to humaning. There just isn't. There is a constant choice to grow and eat and because the choice there it's the choice to grow or not grow and not grow means stagnation yeah. and really when we're talking about culture and and society it just means the status quo and it's going to mean often continual trauma but that's a separate rabbit trail but yeah empathy is intentional understanding so one of the things that i learned from a good friend of mine shamas pitts who was on the podcast a million years ago but she does um dei work dei in and well-being. Mm. Um, she's just wonderful. And one of the things that she teaches around psychological safety when she's in corporations is the just like me mm. exercise. Do you know this one? I do, but I don't know if your listeners do. So please explain. And so the just like me exercise is when you say you get an email from somebody and it throws you over the edge and you're about to write back and you, you, you have fire in your fingertips and on your tongue and in your mind, and you are ready to just shoot it off. 
you stop for a moment and you say, this person wants peace and happiness, just like me. This person is struggling today, just like me. This person wants their family to be healthy, just like me. This person, you can make up whatever it is that feels true for you. But the center of this exercise is this humanizing of the other person and reminding yourself that you are not in this like system where everybody's trying to break you all the time. Some people are narcissistic assholes, not half as many as you think. No, I say it all the time. Like everybody's doing their best more people than you think. Yeah. And everybody deserves empathy, even Vladimir Putin, because it only deserves us when we don't seek to understand. When we seek to simply judge and dismiss, when we simply tolerate someone, it's why I hate the word tolerance, which I talk about in that first TED that you referenced. Because tolerance is entirely passive. Tolerance just says you are alive because it is illegal to kill you. And it reduces people to the, the, the easiest stereotype we can put them in. What inclusivity does, what intersectionality does, what all of these kind of other things that were these tools were given does is to understand that everybody that you're in front of digitally or in person at any given time is a person, a complicated, beautiful, broken, wise, asshole, joy giver, the way you are. They are just like you. I study history a lot. And I will tell you, humans have been humans since God (laughs) breathed into Adam. Culture has changed. Motivations have changed. Like culture has changed. Humans have not. Humans are still humaning. Humans have been humaning and we're going to keep humaning all over the place (laughs) until we burn out this planet, which is another podcast. But like we, this is just who we are. So we, there's a couple base things about us. We assume everybody is like us so much that it's a detriment. So you get that email and you're like, oh, this person has the same motivations of sending this email as me. No, maybe not. They are a human just like you, but they're not your carbon copy. Yeah. So ask some more questions, double check some things, make less assumptions. And I can say that in the last two years, my anxiety has like decreased greatly about the planet. My anger is no longer my first anger at the world is no longer my first trigger. Mm. Aaron and I talk about this all the time. We both have relatives that watch the news all the time Mm. and they are always very concerned that we are not concerned. And because you're, if you're not angry, you're, you're, you're not paying be, attention. You're supposed to be like really in touch and angry. I was like, well, I was like, I know a lot of things. I know, for example, that Brazil's president is up for re-election. I know that there's some really nasty drought happening here. I know that I know the globe now because that's part of empathy work. So I have that perspective to say, you know what? What's happening in America is not the most important thing. It is a important thing but I don't need to sit here and wring hands over the thing that happened in the Senate yesterday that made me grumpy. I can say, what do I have control over? I have control over my reaction. It is going to do no, anyone is going to do no one any good for me to sit here and be angry at somebody who doesn't know I exist for whom I have no power over their job. At least not right now. 
maybe in a couple of years I will, but honestly, at least in the United States, the people that make me the most angry, I have no voting rights for. So I can't do anything, but you know what I can do is love the person in front of me. I can provide food, clothing, and shelter to my employees. I can make sure that I treat everybody with dignity, grace, and respect. I can do the work on myself to make sure that I'm always showing up in empathetic energy to create spaces for everyone to show up on their own terms, which is what inclusivity is. I can do all of that. I cannot stop a war in Ukraine. Come on, Kristen. I know if there's limits to my power, but I can sit here and say, I can hold emotional space. When I run events, I can, it, physical events, I can do the research and try to contact the tribal uh, um, group that owned that, whose land that really is. And I can ask them what a land acknowledgement would look like. I can make sure that the physical spaces I inhabit are beyond ADA compliant, but are welcoming to people of whose bodies are all different things. I can put my pronouns on something because that makes someone feel more welcome. I can control how I move through the world and I want to move through the world acknowledging the humanity of everybody. Amen. So one of the things that we talked about beforehand, because if you can believe it, we are close to close to not quite at, but close to the top of an hour. And there's so much good information here that I don't want to overload my burnt out brains out there. Of course. Of course. I'm, I have a tendency to do that. I apologize. Oh no, no. There's they can, I mean, we can listen twice. There's no rules that say you have to catch everything the first time, but there was a, a lot of really solid, deep information that might require some processing. So we want to leave space for that. But one of the things that you do with inclusivity and one of the things that you have coming up within the next couple of months is a class on words we don't say anymore, which a lot of people are struggling with. So can you tell us about that before we wrap up? I'd be honored. Yes, this is another service we're trying to offer because it's hard. And it's complicated. And we've convinced ourselves that cancel culture is real. Mm -hmm. And so we're afraid to ask questions. So Aaron and I are going to have the uncomfortable conversations on June 1st. Um, uh, It's a 90 minute workshop. It's going to be 47 bucks. We're just hoping that that's a good price point for as many people as possible. We're going to cover things like why spirit, what the real meaning behind the phrase spirit animal is, Mm -hmm. why we shouldn't say powwow anymore. We're going to poke at things like master bedroom. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to cover some of the ones that are really kind of even commonplace now, but like, let's say why we don't say them. Why don't we call something Oriental? Where does that word come from? Why is Caucasian actually racist? Did you know that? I didn't. So let's unpack that. And we're going to come from an attitude, an absolute attitude of no shame. Aaron and I slip and use these things sometimes too. This language is hard. It's evolutionary. But if we take about 45 to 90 minutes of our lives and say, let's intentionally think about how our language can be more welcoming and less exclusionary, we'll be stepping towards that great ability to hold the humanity of everybody. We're going to have some special guests talking about what pronouns mean to them, talking about what um, neuroatypical language means to them, why they hate the phrase spectrum, for instance, whereas some other people love the phrase spectrum. So we're going to be saying like, hey, this is mileage may vary stuff. Here's the category of things you never say. And here's the category of things that depends on who you're loving and who you're with and let's be flexible. But the whole thing is going to be that there is no shame here. 
There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is just how do we love people better? And we would love for you to join us on June 1st. The best way to do that, um, as I will make sure that Kate has a link that can go in the show notes, you can go directly there. Um, and that link is also a great way to get a hold of us as well. If you've got other questions, I'm happy to answer any questions before you join us for the training. And yes, if you buy it, it will be available. Um, a recording will be available after if you're not available to join us on the very day. How can we love people a little more? How can we love people a little better? The This idea is something that sits with me because when I sit down to write my newsletter or when I'm doing an episode, my goal, like I said, is to have a moment of healing. And I think you have that moment by being seen, heard, validated, by being loved, by being made important, by being understood. So I think this is incredibly important. And Fried fans, you are loved. I tell you this fairly frequently in the Facebook group. And a lot of you comment on that post when I post it and say, mm, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> and, but what oh, I want so you to, hard to believe, it's yeah. so hard to believe, but I want you to consider the fact that there are people here like myself, like Kristen, who seriously think it's our job and believe and feel it to love you mm -hmm. as you are, where you are, burnt out or not, powerful Absolutely. or not, privileged or not, whoever you are in this space, you are loved. And I'm so grateful for your time and your ears and your heart and your mind. And on that note, we will see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.